hungry meat suits. I'm a non-threatening voiceover actor, and you're about to get bombarded with subliminal imaging. No one ever promised watching cable would be easy. Look, you gotta get fed, you gotta feed the beast, and you've got yourself a caloric surplus even though you're nutritionally starved. Because all the food at the Mega Monster Mart is made from corn slurry, glyphosate glaze, and palm oil. So you gotta keep on eating. And that's good, because our off-the-rails economic suicide pact with the cult of consumerism demands more of the eating, all of the time. More, more. You sit through sports advertising lately? Woof. Food, trucks, and pills. Food, trucks, and pills. It's the unholy trinity of modern consumption. Food, trucks, and pills. It's food, trucks, and pills. So listen. You're all a bunch of minimum wage slaves teetering precariously on the brink of homelessness. And sometimes you can't afford an $18 burrito from Chipotle that's stuffed with rice and beans that have been spliced with narwhal genes for longevity on the serving line. So what do you do? Go to Taco Bell and get soy protein goo passing for meat squeezed from a big toothpaste tube onto your Roundup Ready GMO tortilla? What, you're gonna hit up Subway? where the bread cannot be legally called bread because bread as defined can only contain 2% sugar and Pedo Jared's bread contains 12% sugar, which actually makes it a confection, not a staple. So why bother? Because now there's another outfit on the block, one that will positively blow your antennae right off your face. Folks, introducing Chitin Fresh. The biggest, baddest, buggiest fast food joint this collapsing empire's ever seen. At Chitin Fresh, we've worked with dead-eyed corporate quote architects unquote to build out hundreds of the most devoid of character, drably colored, and demoralizingly boxy plywood structures imaginable. We've thrown in some tacky plastic tables, pumped in fluorescent lights so bright and piercing they induce epileptic seizures, and voila! A new fast food chain, faster than a grasshopper catapulting off a leaf directly down your mineral deficient gullet. Plus, for all you broke asses out there, check out our squalor menu, where all items are $1. Squalor menu includes 500% surcharge tax. Get a bag of ants fried in soybean oil and coated in processed salt, or go for the six-piece roach nuggets. Or how about Chitin Fresh's signature item, worm lobster. Bug-eating apologists are always quick to point out that crustaceans are the bugs of the sea. We agree, but who boy, have you seen the price of lobster lately? Hard pass. We're not giving away the bar here at Chitin Fresh. We're trying to make some frog skins over here. We got fiduciary responsibilities. Not really, because we're completely subsidized by the feds, but who's counting? Hey, enter the worm lobster. Sounds gross, right? It is gross. But it ain't nothing a little flashy marketing and a couple adulatory articles out of Business Insider can't fix. Here's how the worm lobster magic happens. Our in-house chitin fresh wax mold specialists put together a nice, easy, good-looking lobster mold. Hey, here's a hard-working lobster molder right here. Hey, great job, Harry. Gee, thanks, Rick. Looky here at this one. It's a slipper lobster. See the flat face and lack of front claws? That's what makes the slip- Oh, uh, uh, thanks, Harry. I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of something right here, though, pal. But, um, but great work. Sounds good, Rick. 
Dibbly 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 do, lobster for me and lobster for you. Dibbly 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 da, lobster to eat but steer clear of the claw. Okay, thank thanks Henry, uh, Harry. Sorry Harry, I always get Harry confused with Henry. This we got a lot of mold specialists around here, but uh, they're all neuroatypical. All right, thanks thanks a lot. No problem, Ricky. Dibbly 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 do. Okay, yeesh. We then pack mealworms tightly into the mold, slather that shit with margarine and garlic powder slop, and bake it till it's golden brown. Tasty, right? This is the sort of fast, casual, innovative insectoid cuisine you can expect at Chit and Fresh. What's more, we care about the community here at Chit and Fresh. That's why we're partnering with our friends at the Department of Energy's brand new ARPA-C agency, the DARPA for Climate Quote Action, unquote, and the Office of Naval Intelligence. We've crafted a sophisticated psychological influencing campaign. Sounds nicer than propaganda, am I right? In order to hype up the gobbling of bugs and to downplay any legitimate concerns about human beings suddenly swapping out livestock and plant protein for insect flour. Our namesake, Chitin, is not great for the gut. Chitin, it's the rock-hard shit that makes the exoskeletons of insects. The fact is, it remains to be seen whether all humans have the appropriate genetic script to even attempt to produce the enzyme chitinase, which is what breaks down the chitin. And it's a known fact that chitin is resistant to human digestive enzymes. But enough of this sciencey gobbledygook. Look, that's why you're supposed to cook mushrooms and not eat them raw, okay? Cooking insects supposedly makes their exoskeletons more digestible. And if Business Insider says it, we know it's true. But in reality, this remains to be seen. And at the very least, humans have evolved to perhaps utilize small quantities of insect protein to fill in gaps in diet, but no culture that I've been able to find has utilized insects as the main source of their food. That would be a whole lot of chitin for a digestive system that's not designed for it. And that's a feature, not a bug, of Chitin Fresh. You see, Chitin Fresh is a public-private partnership, and we're getting loads of funny money from the Club of Rome and the Council of Foreign Relations. So we're coming to a corner near you whether you want it or not. And whatever you think about Chitin, our beetle patties are going to come loaded with glyphosate-coated lettuce and bread that's actually a confection. Chitin Fresh. The feds build the pods. We feed the eaters. Download the Chitin Fresh app today and use code MayorPeteMadeMeSayThis for a complimentary locust soda when you pay your first visit to Chitin Fresh. Chitin Fresh is a registered trademark of the trilogy of ARPAs that emulate DARPA and can thus perform all sorts of fucked up experiments around the globe with no oversight or regulatory interference. Chitin Fresh is genetically crafting insect-humanoid hybrids to man the bug kiosks. Chitin Fresh is not responsible for anything we say, do, or serve, and we may or may not be using our bug burgers as a covert delivery system for synthetic viruses and self-spreading genetic therapies masquerading as vaccines. Chitin Fresh hates you. Die eater. Give me an eye, give me a wing, break me off a piece of that cricket bar. You could keep it to yourself, but it wouldn't be fair, cause that crispy crunchy taste is loved everywhere. Give me a leg, give me a thorax, break me off a piece of that chitin log. Eat chitin fresh today! What's up, you brilliant purple-blue wisteria blossoms and sun-capped water lilies? 
Welcome to the Barbarian Noetics Podcast, where we stay dedicated to the elevation of the human spirit and to resisting the status quo. I am, as always, your loyal host, Little Raven. And I am stoked to be coming at you from a sunny, kind of glary, hazy, uh, the clouds are, we've had a monsoon heavy weekend here in Phoenix. Monsoon storms have been rolling across the valley, lots of lightning, lots of really beautiful dark skies rolling in with the big cumulus puffy clouds and that those positive ions in the air and the fresh rain falling from the sky. Uh, so beautiful. I am going to be kind of sad when this monsoon season ends because it's ending here pretty soon and it's been a really good one. So today is kind of like the aftermath of the storm. So there's like a haziness in the air. It's very sunny, very hot, kind of humid. Uh, but, you know, digging it, just appreciating this summer for, for what it is. And uh, it's been like a very pretty mellow summer, honestly, for Phoenix standards. So I'm thankful for that. And uh, I'm just living the dream over here, people. I'm excited to put this episode out. I hope you enjoy it. I really enjoyed making it. Had some fun with the Zany Audio tidbits this week. Um, So let me tell you about the topics for this week's episode. I want to thank you all for joining. I love each and every one of you. To my patrons, you all are the roasted weasel inside my particle accelerator that hurtled us into a reality that features biomilk with a Q and the seeds inside my rattle. I would not be able to psychologically prep the masses for artificial wombs, nor would I have the sonic scaffolding for shamanic journeying without you. So thank you, patrons. And for all you listeners out there, y'all are the best. I appreciate every single one of you. Without the listeners, there would be no BMP. So thank you for joining our tribe of philosopher barbarians. Welcome to all the new listeners. Hold on to your butts, everybody, because we got another fun one this week. And uh, we're going to go ahead and jump right in. So this week, we got the zany audio tidbits you know and love. We got a segment on the mushrooms of the desert. So I started thinking about, like, I wonder... Because, you know, the mycelial mat, the wood wide web. I'm like, does that happen in the desert? And I did some research and sure enough, sure as shit, there are desert mushrooms and the mycelial mat does extend throughout the Sonoran Desert. So I read an article about that. Um, I end the episode with a very thought-provoking article about volcanic CO2 emission versus man-made CO2 emission and how volcanic emissions are grossly unreported and what that could mean for the coming... Uh, unless we can resist it successfully, but the coming carbon-based social credit score system that the global elites are trying to put into place, when we should be focused on pollution, and especially corporate and state pollution. That's what we should be focusing on, but instead it's going to they're trying to make the onus on individual people, you know, driving a car to work, and Mayor Pete's going to start taxing you for that. So anyways, uh, volcanic CO2 emissions, very, very interesting article, so stay tuned to the end for that one. This episode also includes a uh, recent YakFest segment, well, it was a YakFest segment from a couple months ago, where Dr. Sylvia and I discussed the opening ceremony for the Gotthard Base Tunnel in Switzerland, and it was a self-described portal opening ceremony. <laughs> One of the most bizarre spectacles uh, that you could possibly imagine. It features a naked woman with a baby face mask and hawk wings descending over actors who represent workers who died in the construction of the tunnel. So that's real respectful. 
Uh, it includes young people rolling around in their underwear and standing like zombies staring at each other. There's half-naked men and women wearing goat horns and pretending to have sex. All totally normal stuff for the opening of a tunnel, right? And of course, it's attended by European elites and all the world leaders. Everyone, anyone who's any, everyone who's anyone in the Predator class was attended this portal opening ceremony. So what the fuck? Like, what is this? <laughs> so we talk about that, and I'll, I might try to edit it a little bit because it was an audio. So we're the Yakfest segment. You can actually see the portal uh, ceremony, but you can maybe do a watch along or whatever. You can check it out after you listen to the Yakfest segment. You can also see um, if you go to our Rockfin, rockfin.com slash barbarian yakfest, you can see the uh, original article where we talk about the the opening ceremony, but I I wanted to include that as well. So we got a packed episode this week, everyone. Um, So we're going to jump right in. I just want to thank everyone for joining as usual. You all are the best and I can really use your support to help stay on the air. So if you would, if you're moved to help the BMP, um, if you derive some value from the free show I put out every week, please consider becoming a patron, patreon.com noetics. Sign up at different tiers. You get a dream interpretation when you do. You can also make a one-time donation at buymeacoffee.com noetics. And uh, that's about it. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the BMP. And thank you for spreading a word and telling a friend. I really appreciate it. Hey friends, real quick before we jump in, I also just want to let everyone know that I um, included a couple segments, uh, more kind of uh, mental health, overall well-being, spiritual connection segments. Um, so I recorded a, a short segment by The River where I talk a little bit about what inspired me to um, delve into the desert mushrooms as part of the veggies uh, when I'm out in that environment and the vibrations I feel Um, It's just a really beautiful uh, moment at the river and I wanted to capture it and put it out in the rabbit holes of space and time. And then I also include a shortish, pretty short segment where I just offer some reflections on a recent meditation that I had that was especially deep and beautiful and moving and um, a new technique that I kind of dawned upon me, downloaded into my mind a new technique, uh, very accessible for everybody, most people anyways, and um, it involves motion. So I talk about how I'm in- involving moving the body more and more into my meditations. And I think that's, my hope is that that's helpful and inspiring in a way, or it encourages people, that's the word. I hope it's encouraging for people that anyone can attempt to meditate and you don't have to stand all stiff with this straight spine you can be fluid and move with the meditation and um, so this is just a way to kind of try that out Uh, there's a billion different varieties but um, anyway I just wanted to let you know that those two segments also are in the show all right let's get into it peace Uh, let's keep this positive momentum rolling and let's roll right into this episode so without further ado ladies and gentlemen let's get into it much love Babylon, you're falling down. Me say you're not gonna live the morning come. You wicked empire, me a chant it down. Cause you follow Lucifer, the falling sun with him flattering lips and him charming tongue. The most I blessing, I call it down. Cause the people are suffer like dog. And when the weeping and the mourning and bawling done, you are gonna get stunned. You never see it coming like teeth in a night when your city start burn up like weed in a pipe. Blood a flow like river through street, water side. Politician had a roll like wheel on a bike. Brimstone. 
stone fire, earthquake and disaster Nobody can save you, not even the pastor You slaughter, we like the animal in the pasture Why you a break all the laws of my heart for you falling down Me say you not gonna live see the morning come You wicked empire, me a chant it down Cause you follow Lucifer, the falling sun With them flattering lips and them charming tongue The most high blessing, I call it down Cause the people are suffer like dark When they weeping and the morning and balling done You a go get stunned, things are get drastic from your full the ocean up a plastic A mountain of rubbish heap up in the Atlantic Now get no answers from one of those semantics The lies them a tell us a stretch like elastic Building more factories polluting the air Still we now get distracted we move with no fear The truth it is clear, revolution is near Dirty Babylon best prepare cause you falling down Me say you not gonna live see the morning come You wicked empire me a chant it down Cause you follow Lucifer the falling sun With them flattering lips and them charming tongue The most high blessing What's up BMP fam, love doves It's been a while since I've recorded a river segment So that's what I'm going to be doing right now It's the wee hours of the morning on Saturday, August 20th 12.04 actually, four minutes into the new day And I just had a really beautiful day today Started off with a fantastic conversation with Dr. Sylvie for the Yak Fest. I'm excited to release that um, on rockfin.com, Barbarian Yak Fest. And then I'll also release it on the feed. And work was really busy slinging those beans at the shop, but a lot of, so many friends came to visit today and it just flowed really nicely. The day flowed really nicely. Then on my way home, there was the yin-yang monsoon sky, half the sky dark gray thunder the other side sunset beauty orange and red and yellow and now the monsoon is still all all amongst me like I can see in all directions but right now where I'm at in city central south along the Rio Salado it's so calm there is like a nice little breeze and I think the breeze might be picking up a little bit. So why did I jump on the mic? Well, I wanted to extend some of these vibrations into the rabbit holes of space and time because it's a really beautiful moment right now here on the river. I can hear the, there's like, I believe ducks or geese. There's some type of shorebird down on the lake or it's like a wetlands area and they make this sound like and they make it at night and I love it it's very sweet and um, then you can hear the crickets chirping there's the ASMR of the planes flying overhead there's the sound of the city Friday night in the city you can hear some mariachi music faintly across the river you can hear mufflerless motorcycles just spewing their noise everywhere but at least it's really far away so it's bearable and just all the sounds of the city you can feel the energy of the city right now I'm looking at the skyline and um, the multicolored phoenix skyline just out here in the middle of the desert and so I'm thinking right now about because I believe that this episode I'm going to do a segment about mycelial networks of the desert and mushrooms that grow in the desert 
because there are mushrooms that do grow in the Sonoran Desert. Even though it's incredibly dry and hot, there are mushrooms that grow here. And so that means that beneath my feet, there is the, the wood wide web, <laughs> the mycelial mat that connects all the living things in this whole ecosystem. So right now I'm in like this riparian desert ecosystem. There's lots of really gnarled mesquite trees and creosote and um, many other scrubby, hardy, rugged little desert shrubs that I can't identify. But they're all connected via the invisible web, the mycelial mat. And so I am connected into that. Like I am tuned in. Uh, not only because I'm microwing right now, but partially because I'm microwing right now. <laughs> and so the psilocybin connects in, connects my neural neural pathway. It's always making new neural connections in the mind. And it really is like a symbiosis. I feel this intense symbiosis with the fungal kingdom. And so I'm learning about this mycelial mat that extends through the Sonoran Desert. But more importantly, I feel it. And so that's what makes it real. And I'm interested. I want to know all about it. I want to read different articles. I want to gain knowledge. But I feel it. I feel that there is this living web of energy beneath my feet that is connecting all the mesquite trees, connecting the cottonwood trees down by the river, and connecting the creosote shrubs and all the other shrubs, the cacti. And it is exchanging information amongst these organisms and helping connect. It's a network. It's a communications network. And more than that, they actually will send chemicals and pheromones and stuff like that. If the trees need it, the mycelium will facilitate the transfer of chemicals and nutrients to help the the plant or the tree grow its best, live its best life. The mycelium is just out here helping everyone live their best life, <laughs> including mine. The mycelial mat in my head is definitely helping me live my best life. And um, that's all I really wanted to say. I just wanted to capture this moment because it's really peaceful and beautiful out here and just send some of those desert, summer desert night, monsoon vibes out into the universe. I just, I think when it really boils down to it, I just love nature, but I do have like a special place in my heart for the desert and specifically the Sonoran Desert, one of the most biodiverse deserts on the planet. And I've talked about my past life recollection before being a, just a regular old ordinary Ho'okam farmer, just working the land, digging the hang hand dug canals from the salt river and there's this peak that I look at and I just it's like boom 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 I flash back all these lifetimes that I've seen that peak before in other lifetimes and um, you know I'm not going to be here forever but I'm here right now and I'm in the right place I'm where I'm, I'm where I should be and I just want to welcome everyone along this journey the Barbarian Noetics podcast which is just all about elevating the human spirit. It's about connecting with one another. It's about seizing the means of algorithmic production, meaning be real, be authentic, care more about what you feel 
and less about what you think others want you to feel. And I know that that's easier said than done. And I'm always working on it myself as well. But that's the key to the kingdom. That's the holy grail is connecting with yourself in that way. In your, your true self, your highest self. Which connects with all the other organisms around. Connects with the mycelial mat beneath my feet. It connects all, everything. Life, mineral, plant, everything on this planet and even beyond. It connects the stars, it connects the galaxies. This living web of life and energy that's constantly coursing through us and all around us. We are these electrical systems and I believe that's why we humans resonate so much with lightning. Another electrical system, a grand electrical system. But we are also quite impressive electrical systems and um, we're composite beings we're not just like one thing we're all this beneficial flora and virome and all this like that's working together to create your experience of you right now listening to this podcast wherever you may be in the rabbit holes of space and time so i hope we can all let that sink in and i do feel it starting to drizzle out here so i'm gonna get a move on i love you guys Right, I need love. I want to be kissed. I need love. I want to be hugged. Oh, baby, my mother told me it's not a thing for a What's up, you talismanic tin horns? We're going to get right back into this episode of the BMP, but first, a very important message from today's sponsor. This is a PSA from the Arizona Re-Education Committee for West Coast City Hipsters. This here's a word to the wise for people from the Pacific Northwest moving to Arizona. If you consider yourself a coffee snob keep that shit to yourself nobody cares how you like your mud done and to subject strangers to your self-styled quirky brew habits is lame it's mundane it's uninteresting it's corny and it's lazy enjoy coffee don't enjoy coffee do a pour over or don't and if you're a simp for pour overs do it yourself 
in the privacy of your own kitchen. Don't make the emotionally precarious barista just trying to restock cups and get home do it. Pour overs are tedious and completely overrated. Comparing dick sizes over your opinions about coffee, and that's all they are, subjective ass opinions, is dumb. Find a more captivating interest, or don't. But either way, keep it to yourself. This here's the land of the January 6th fur hat and bullhorn guy. Shit's different here. Eat some peyote and become proficient in a couple different firearms. And then come back and talk to me about coffee. My opinion? Cowboy coffee. Just pour steaming hot water over a quality coarse grind. It's quick, easy, and delicious. The crema that cowboy coffee kicks up will soak your little PDX man panties. You'll see. This has been a PSA from the Arizona Re-Education Committee for West Coast City Hipsters. So from the river segment, uh, you know that I'm, I got mycelium on the mind, not just because of that psilocybin I got coursing through my system, but also because I've been connecting in, and I've been connecting in with the mushrooms that grow in the Sonoran Desert specifically. I don't know how it popped in my mind, but I was, I was watching a lightning storm actually, that's when it popped in my mind. I was watching a lightning storm, I was feeling the ions, positive ions, I was feeling super connected with everything all around me. And then I thought to myself, it almost feels like a forest, like with how connected everything is. And then I thought, well, it's the mycelial mat that connects the wood wide web. The mycelial mat connects everything in the forest and communicates between the organisms. I wonder if, is there any mycelium in the Sonoran Desert? And lo and behold, there's lots. And that's fucking rad. So I'm going to read you guys this article, fantastic website, desertreport.org. And it's called The Desert Under Our Feet, an extraordinary biological web that serves us in countless ways. Written by Robin Kobali. Uh, this was written March 25th, 2019. We are witness to assaults on our desert landscape every day, but we usually recognize only what we see above ground. 
In fact, these surface alterations result in critical changes below ground that have far-reaching implications that are mostly unnoticed or unappreciated. If we could see the intricate systems that hum along invisibly underground, we would likely fight even harder to protect our desert landscapes from unnecessary disturbance. Folks, he's talking about the condoplexes. He's talking about the luxury. Actually, there's luxury condoplexes, and then now the capitalist blocks are going up, which is just like five square city blocks of pods. They'd be building pods. Yo, I'm not staying here forever. That's all I got to say. This is where I need to be right now, and I have a lot of love for Phoenix, and you all know, and I feel the power coming up from the desert. But they'd be trying to make this place into a smart city for sure, and they'd be building the pods. And I am not here for it, and I won't be here for it. Anyways, so that's what he's talking about, the unnecessary disturbance. He's talking about the pod capitalist blocks, and he's talking about the luxury condoplexes, because that's the only thing anyone ever fucking builds anymore because the assholes building them have so many billions of dollars they don't even care if there's, they achieve any uh, occupancy or not because they're just basically stashing cash in the building and the land that appreciates over time. No one even thinks about, quote, water, unquote, and the fact that Lake Mead just keeps on sinking lower and lower. They had to, they had to drill a new intake t- tube pipe or whatever into Lake Mead because one of the intake pipes became exposed by air because the lake sunk that low. The reason why the intake pipe was there is because when they designed it, they were like, it'll never sink below this. And it has. So now they're like, and, but you know, no worries, just full speed ahead. Half of California moving here because Cali friggin' passes laws that say 12 year olds can get jabbed without consent of their parents and then they can lie to the parents about it. So California's lost their minds. So everyone moves here. And, uh, you know, it's like, eh. And Arizona, last thing I saw on national propaganda radio, NPR, uh, Arizona's gonna get a lower allocation of the Colorado River along with Nevada. But yeah, just full speed ahead with the pods, with the development. And, you know, I don't, there, no one is thinking, no one is running the show because it's the corporations have seized control of the levers of power. The developers, the real estate developers run the states out here in the fucking West. And so they're just like, well, we're going to get ours. We're going to get our bag. And then we can, you know, uh, we can build our chalet on a crystal clear mountain lake in Montana and have a. A water driveway and have a speedboat car and you know the southwest can burn in hell as far as they're concerned they're, they'll have already made their money it's the same with the weapons contractors that are like yeah we don't care what happens to the weapons after we sell them once that check clears pff, who the fuck cares we wash our hands of it you know oh uh, we flooded ukraine with so many small arms that we've created like a brand new burgeoning weapons black market on the entire continent of Europe? Yeah, we got paid, so we don't give a fuck. What, uh, 30% or more of all the weapons we send over there just get seized by Russia? They either get blown up by Russia or seized by Russia. So we're supposed to hate Russia and be fighting Russia, but we're sending weapons to Russia. Anyway, that was a digression, folks. I guess I'm, uh, it's bright and early here on, well, it's not that bright and early, but I slept in today on Sunday morning and I'm full of vim and vigor. But let's return to the article, The Desert Under Our Feet. Okay. Research around the world is showing that the biggest contributors to soil stability in deserts are the smallest of microorganisms. Tiny microbes hold our desert landscape together. 
the valuable role of hidden microorganisms in keeping our air cleaner, preventing dust storms, controlling erosion, and helping us reduce carbon dioxide levels in our atmosphere is enormous, but that role is mostly overlooked when we make land use decisions in our desert. And I just want to quick time out because I know my listenership is very diverse and people have different uh, feelings and ideas about carbon dioxide levels. Um, I like to focus more because I, I, I'm a sun worshiper and I'm an earth worshiper and I want to live on a healthy planet and I want clean air and clean water. So I like to focus more on the pollution and I think that's what kind of gets lost in translation sometimes when there's such an emphasis on CO2 levels. No one ever talks about the fact that when an Icelandic volcano explodes, it shoots out more carbon into the atmosphere than the entire continent of Asia for like two years or something crazy ass like that. I'll, I'll get that stat one of these days so I don't just shoot my mouth off, but it's something crazy like that. Uh, and then the, the corporations that are polluting the earth, the, the defense department, the militaries around the world that are you know, putting depleted uranium everywhere, just blowing shit up and destroying environments. All the glyphosate in our food and on our clothes, uh, the glyphosate that is poisoning us, um, the, the acidity of our water, um, pollutants in our water. Like, this is what I like to focus on. So I just wanna make that clear that I'm not over here just like blindly preaching the whole carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere thing. But I think what this gentleman is doing, I mean, I can't read his mind. It might be, I don't know, Robin could be a gentleman or a lady. What this author is doing is, I think they are um, writing, they're trying to resonate with people. And so everyone's, all their panties are in a bunch about carbon dioxide levels. And so this author just wants to protect the desert. And so he's just putting out arguments that are going to resonate with people that that's what i take away from it but that's not why i'm reading this article the whole idea of why i'm reading this article is because of the mycelial mat and he's going to get into that uh, pretty soon here biological soil crusts stabilizing soil and influencing water runoff across arid soils a thin crust often forms within the top few centimeters of the soil surface Surprisingly, these crusts are not exclusively formed from excess minerals, as is often thought, but are created by microscopic and somewhat larger macroscopic organisms that live together in a tiny but profound world. Hell yeah, tiny but profound. I like that. Minimalist. Minimalist! Whenever it rains, a cast of soil creatures, including cyanobacteria, formerly called blue-green algae, plus bacteria, fungi, and other microbes that have been patiently sleeping, wakes up like a scene in Sleeping Beauty's castle. That was cheesy, Robin, but whatever, I'll let it go. Released from the spell of drought, these microscopic creatures start making food and creating miniature subway tunnels as they move through the soil, reproducing as long as the soil is moist. Tunnels of sticky mucilage. All right, now we're talking. It's getting hot in here. Sticky mucilage. I am building a tunnel of sticky mucilage. Um, around algae filaments allow the algae to move into new frontiers while moisture paves their way. As the soil dries out after rain, a slumber again falls over the entire community and the soft, gluey tunnels start to dry out but not before tightly binding all the soil grains they have touched. The value of this thin living skin across our desert soil is not only expressed during its wet waking hours, but also during its dry dormant time when it performs the critical role of gluing soil particles together against wind and water erosion. 
During the following months or years of drought, these sticky tunnels continue to bind soil grains together. The result of this microscopic community is a protective seal across the soil surface called a biological soil crust that keeps dust, particulate matter, and harmful fungal spores like valley fever from being blown up into the air wherever soil has not been disturbed. These living soil crusts take hundreds of years to develop into effective soil sealants, but when they are allowed to remain intact, they not only hold back water and wind and water erosion, but also supply nutrients to neighboring higher plants, improve water infiltration, prevent choking dust storms, and help keep our air clean and healthy. Plus, they do all of this for us while they are sleeping. There's a picture here of an evening primrose, and it's been, there's been like a, the land has been excavated right where the primrose is, and so it exposed the roots, and it shows the deep roots of the evening primrose to give you guys an idea. If the primrose on the screen, the primrose is like an inch on the screen, the roots of the primrose are like 10 inches long, maybe more. It shows how deep the roots go, way, way deep into the soil. And that's how it, uh, that's how them, the hardy desert plants are able to survive. They really are amazing creatures, sending out these deep ass roots. All right, so now this is the part that gets me excited. Okay, mycorrhizae, a, a strategic partnership between plants and fungi. Working both above and below this marvelous crust, plants are breathing in massive amounts of carbon dioxide from the air, resembling, or sorry, reassembling the carbon into sugar, then transporting it underground to grow roots. Byproducts of this growth, photosynthesis, become locked in hidden carbon storage vaults underground, both living and non-living, for many hundreds of years. Small shrubs like black brush can live at least 400 years, while Mormon tea can live over 250 years. That's a great name, Mormon tea. I love it. <laughs> Our Mojave yuccas are youngsters at 500 years old and may live to several thousand years old. And even more impressive are nolinas, desert ironwood trees, and California junipers that may live to over 1,000 years. And those desert ironwood trees are the trees that I talk about here in South Phoenix that have been here for hundreds of years. Uh, South Phoenix used to be a small agricultural dwelling spot and the desert ironwood trees were planted um, for shade to provide shade for the workers during breaks. And so these ancient ironwood trees are, there's actually one like really close to my apartment just on the other side of the parking lot. There's a beautiful one and they're all over the place and they're so gnarled and so beautiful. And South Phoenix is one of the few places where they still stand because um, knock on wood, knocking on wood right now, um, because it's an industrial area, there's less of the horrific types of development that just tear up fucking everything and build capitalist blocks because yuppies are afraid of gunshot noises and, so, and also yuppies don't like bad smells and so they don't want to necessarily try to build those types of developments down here in South Phoenix that keeps development down um, plus it's like a low-income neighborhood so there's not a ton of money to be made in like real estate and shit like that and so these desert ironwoods are they do get cut down sometimes and it breaks my heart and what's even most awful about it is they get cut down so that to take away from places homeless people can sleep 
that's why the city of phoenix is like oh we got a fucking that 800 year old desert ironwood tree that majestic creature that just lives out here in the fucking desert without any irrigation yeah well too many homeless people are sleeping under there so we got to cut that shit down i mean this is where our priorities are it's disgusting it is makes me sick like i i like the desert and i commune and i resonate with like the ancient power of the desert and the fact that this has been inhabited by humans for thousands of years but the phoenix city planners can fucking eat my dick (laughs) that was kind of crude but uh it pisses me off i mean those we should be protecting these trees like we should be every one of these trees should have a plaque and be like this fucking tree's been here for 800 years isn't that cool bring your kids around and have them touch the bark and connect with the nature spirits and let's preserve this shit and build a park around it shall we not cut it down so homeless people can't sleep under it like where are the homeless people gonna sleep you kick people out onto the streets you just want them to disappear and the answer is yes that the phoenix city planners just want them to disappear that's what they want so fuck those people Um, Also, I love California junipers. They're so pretty up in that high desert country. Um, And I guess they can also live to over 1,000 years. So continuing now with the article, I know I'm taking a lot of digressions right now, but I hope you're okay with that. Um, Roots, I just want to make sure my recording thing is on. Okay. There was one time I recorded like a 25-minute segment, and I felt like really good about the recording, and I was like, you know, I felt like I was making it interesting and all this kind of stuff. I was in a good flow. And then I finished and I'm like, fuck yeah, 25 minutes of content. And then I look and somehow my recorder thing had shut off after like one minute. And I'm like, oh, that sucks. It reminds me of the time of like the floppy disk. I don't know if any of the, the, the OGs out there who listen remember the days of the floppy disk, uh, which was just like a piece of trash basically that you put into this the computer and then you had to like manually save everything so you'd be like type 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 and then you had to go like save file save and then it would save to the floppy disk and if you didn't do that and there was a power outage or something or you just forgot to do that your work is gone and man that happened to me in high school a couple times because we we lived in a very low-tech house because my mother had a vision uh in the 70s that they were putting microchips in people and she decided at that point that technology was evil and she would not allow a television into our house for many many years of my childhood and i'm incredibly grateful for that um what a gift what a gift that she was so adamant about that but then it did become a little bit of an inconvenience because she refused she didn't like computers she thought computers were satanic fair enough i mean pretty much on point there (laughs) but so we had this thing called a word processor which was like half typewriter half computer it was a real piece of garbage and to print stuff out you had to it like typed stuff out like a typewriter so it took like you know i'd write like a 20 page paper and then it's like just starts typing 45 minutes later and then if there's a typo it's like ah shit that sucks now i either have to use whiteout or (laughs) ah the old days so anyway i i do uh i'm not gonna lie i like me some google docs google docs are helpful because i do so much editing on the side as well um okay this isn't an this is not interesting anymore let's get back into the article okay um roots from these carbon eating plants reach far underground some as much as 150 feet deep and they're talking about the roots of the the old the shrubs and the old trees um 
some as much as 150 feet deep. Roots of succulents like cacti and yuccas are not as deep. They have other survival tricks. Roots this deep are essential to reach soils still moist from rains that may have fallen year, many years ago. And these deep living straws create an upside down forest of craggy wood, resulting in a greater mass of living tissue below ground than what we see above ground. All these deep roots are not separate and alone in their quest to gather water and nutrients to survive. Eons ago, they struck, apart, they struck upon a partnership with fungus that helps them absorb moisture and nutrients from an arid soil that is almost devoid of either. Over 90% of plants on Earth belong to this, quote, root partners club, unquote, a lifelong membership that grants participating plants special privileges. Moisture and valuable resources like phosphorus and nitrogen are all gathered and delivered to the plant, to the plant partner through thin threads of widely dispersed fungal hyphae called mycelium. So the fungi is getting hyphae, getting hyphae with the mycelium, uh, symbiosis with the plants and the shrubs, uh, helping to absorb moisture and nutrients, and exchanging information between organisms. Freaking badass. Um, so widely dispersed fungal hyphae called mycelium. In exchange, the plant host supplies sugars to their mycorrhizal funga, fungal root partners, which for all their near magical powers cannot make their own food. A good trade indeed. This partnership has been called a subterranean swap meet. But the fungal partner offers more to this relationship. This, this part, I love this part. It offers immune-boosting compounds and antibiotics, and bitter-tasting chemicals that deter animals and insects from eating its host's leaves. Even more mind-boggling, fungal threads from neighboring plants can merge with adjacent fungal threads to connect plant to plant in a massive community network that exchanges information between plants for the good of the whole community. That is stunning. Without seeing anything above ground, the mycelia below ground transmit information about dangers like insect attacks and initiate the production of pest-repelling compounds in the leaves of the plants connected to this root partner's club. No single plant thus has to fight an intruder on its own. This information-sharing network of fungi has been dubbed Nature's Internet or the Wood Wide Web. I like Wood Wide Web, personally. The benefits of this hidden relationship extend beyond the exchange of resources between plants and fungi. Both the root and the fungus are breathing out carbon dioxide in the dark. Plants breathe in carbon in the light and breathe out carbon in the dark. Right at the point where a tiny fungal thread connects to the plant root, some of the carbon dioxide exhaled by roots and fungi react with calcium in the soil to form crystals of calcium carbonate, or what is called caliche. Carbon in these crystals becomes locked into the soil. Over time, large chunks or even vast layers of caliche are build, build up overground, capturing carbon from our atmosphere in an underground lockbox and reducing its potential escape into the atmosphere. Okay, so he talks about this thing called glomalin, hiding place for a third of the world's carbon. There is still more to this incredible story. 
Every hyphae, the thread-like root of a fungus, of the most common kind of root-partnering fungus in our desert, our buscular mycorrhizal fungi, is coated with a waterproof sealant called glomalin. This coating of sticky protein around each fungal thread prevents leakage when water and nutrients move through the hyphae. So awesome. Glomalin is made directly from carbon gathered by its plant partner. So again, atmospheric carbon is being moved from air into soil for long-term storage. Remarkably, each hyphae's coating of glomalin persists in the soil after the fungal thread dies, when the growing root section matures and barks over. For over 30 to 100 years, the sloughed-off glomalin glues soil or the sloughed-off glomalin glues soil grains together in packets containing carbon, nitrogen, phosphorus, and other valuable nutrients. This waxy coating of glomalin helps to form tiny soil clumps called aggregates and prevents nutrients vital to plant growth from being leached out of the soil. Glomalin will continue to hold carbon underground long after death of the hyphae that produced it. Awesome. This entire kingdom of incredible creatures works 24 hours a day, year after year, without any input from humans, unseen by us and mostly unappreciated by us. That's where the BMP comes in to extend some appreciation to these desert hyphies. Going hyphy in the desert, connecting creosotes, I love it. These life, uh, these life forms in mutual partnership will continue to glue our soils together and capture our excess carbon in perpetuity, unless we remove the plants and disturb the soil that makes all this magic work, unless we build capitalist blocks and pods unless we build luxury condoplexes that don't need to be occupied in order for the assholes who built them to be making money off them. So, we are now faced with decisions about whether to allow thousands of acres of functioning desert systems to be sacrificed. This is interesting for solar energy developments on the premise of reducing carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere. So now this is very interesting. I didn't realize that this article got into this. So this is where the nuanced conversation comes in about climate action. Because I personally love solar power. I think there's a lot of potential in solar power. And I'm going to be relying on solar power when I have my mobile BMP studio uh, to charge, you know, to, to make my studio operate. It's going to be mostly solar powered, I, I imagine. But this is interesting. So he says, we are now faced with decisions about whether to allow thousands of acres of functioning desert systems to be sacrificed for solar energy developments on the premise of reducing carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere. Scientists estimate that after the removal of desert vegetation and dis disturbance of the topsoil, the pre-existing plant community requires about 50 to 300 years before it returns to pre-disturbance cover and biomass but requires about 3,000 years before the disturbed area returns to the function it had before disturbance. The ancient nature of both the plants and the living soil crust organisms make this a credible prediction. We once thought that carbon was held in meaningful amounts only in ocean creatures and forest trees and hummus. Now we know that soils, including desert soils, are a significant storage facility for carbon. Without these biological partnerships, significant amounts of carbon would be released from the soil. Um, so he's just trying to argue for the preservation, but he, it's interesting that it's going to be used uh, for soil, for solar, which is like people would say like, oh yeah, that's part of quote climate action. But you know, this is a guy who knows a lot about the soil and he's saying that's actually not worth the trade-off because of the 
incredibly critical roles that these underground systems operate. Um, he says, when, wherever possible, we need to steer developments, especially large-scale projects like utility-scale solar facilities, to pre-disturbed, severely impacted soils or pre-developed sites, such as parking lots and roofs. Hell yeah, that makes sense. Then we get the best of all options, progress with preservation. Right on, I like that. Put them in the parking lots, and then it creates shade too. Like, there's a lot of those around Phoenix where, yeah, it, it uh, they just line the parking lots with these raised solar panels and then they also create shade for cars it's pretty rad uh, more of that please <laughs> way too many parking lots don't have any shade at all and it's like guys it's 180 thousandth degrees outside right now just have to park my ass car right in the sun so he says leave these microscopic soil magicians alone to do their work the desert's underground life support systems can only function if the above-ground systems, desert plants, and living soil crusts are kept alive and intact. We must be their voice and their champion in protecting them, so they can silently continue to protect our potential for carbon sequestration, our air quality, our health, our economy, our landscape, our ecotourism, our property values, and our quality of life. So he's big tent right now. He's trying to appeal to all kinds of people. He's like, it'll keep property values up, property values up. <laughs> I can hear the, the vulture developers, their ears perk up. They're like, what? Property values up. What do you need? Okay. All right. Micro Risey. We can get behind that. It makes us a buck. To ensure our own sustainable future, we need to keep our desert soils intact and alive. It benefits everyone. The choice is ours. So there you go, everyone. I, um, I just found that to be a very illuminating article. Wanted to share it all. It's from Desert Report to share it to you all. DesertReport.org. The Desert Under Our Feet, an extraordinary biological web that serves us in countless ways by Robin Kobali. And that brings this segment to a close. So much love, everybody. Peace. Doves, BMP fam, coming at you live and direct on a Friday night here in South Phoenix. We in the midst of the monsoon still. Such a nice monsoon this year. The sky was so beautiful on my ride home tonight from work. Holy shit. Half the sky was like dark, black, monsoon, thunderstorm. And then half the sky was wispy sort of thick but not cloudy <laughs> I guess 
<laughs> cloudy but still sky and so as the sunset it was this like yin yang vibe of like one one side of the sky was all sunsetty and oranges and reds and yellows and then the other side of the sky was just like thick black monsoon thunderstorm really really beautiful and last night there was amazing lightning storm that came through I was just sitting in front of my apartment watching the lightning so powerful you can feel the ions I think it's the either positive I think positive ions that's what makes you feel good when you stand in front of a waterfall is it's the ions either the negative or the positive ions but the ions that make you happy and make you blissed out it happens on the beach with the ocean in front of a waterfall and also lightning lightning storms and so that electricity you feel in the air I think is partially those ions showering down boosting your mood I totally understand why so many civilizations and mythologies and cosmologies worshipped lightning as a deity and you know um, transmogrified lightning into different deities it makes sense because you can explain it away all you want all you know people can be like oh well it's the this and the this and the fronts and the warm front and the cold front and then but at the end of the day you got sparks of light like fractal sparks of light shooting out of the sky i mean this is like what i mean about seeing things for what they really are and seeing how beautiful this planet is that we inhabit like really seeing it it's so easy to just like get lost in the screen and just take everything for granted and just be so set on what task you have in front of you or what schedule you have to meet that you can just like go through life you don't even really you're like oh it's some lightning oh there's the moon but it's like but look though look at the moon like the half moon so gorgeous it's a yin yang symbol in the sky it's the same size in the sky as the sun that allows for total eclipses the odds of that are like astronomical pun intended insane odds that the moon would be the exact same size in the sky as the sun that allows for these lunar eclipses and solar eclipses i mean get out of get out of town <laughs> and then the lightning with the streaks of light across the sky oh give it to me i love the lightning so much um so coming at you just wanted to check in i'm coming up off a powerful meditation a very beautiful meditation so i wanted to share uh, my experience and the first thing i'll say is that um excuse my voice if my voice sounds kind of off because i i rode the hape the hape medicine out of the jungle before my meditation to help ground and center me and i'm listening to an album by a band i believe it's called yaima or yama y-a-i-m-a because uh, i was listening to a lot of liquid bloom and then i was like okay i want it kind of same vibe or similar vibe as liquid bloom but a different type of thing and i found this band yaima or yaima and there's this uh, female vocalist who's so uh, her voice is so powerful and so beautiful and i'm just being led on this journey into my own self and i can see my i start to my mind's eye sees my pineal gland and sees it as like this point of light in the middle of my head it was very much yellow light um, very much the color of lightning tonight 
And so that got me into meditation. I started thinking about piezoelectric energy because that is what the pineal gland is able to generate electricity through a process called piezoelectricity, which is like pressure. It's electricity caused by pressure. I don't understand, <laughs> but it happens and that's the thing. And we have a crystal in our head and it creates electricity via pressure by piezoelectric like wowzers. And like I'll see piezoelectric when I start looking around for like EMP guns. <laughs> like has anyone made an EMP device and I see the piezoelectric is like a aspect of that as well. And so I just start thinking like wow in our heads, in the middle of our head, we have this crystal that's generating such intense pressures that it's able to send electrical signals out to the rest of the nervous system. And, you know, that um, episode I had with Dr. Sylvie where we talked about the vagus nerve, that's got me like really tuned in with my nerve, my vagus nerve and my entire nervous system. I'm always trying to give my nervous system lots of tonics like ashwagandha, um, all sorts of good stuff. Tulsi is another one. And I, you know, I still struggle with the anxiety. Um, I, I do. So pretty much daily still. But I feel as though I am becoming more in tune with my nervous system. And I feel as though I'm more able to direct the vibration of my nervous system just by, by way of my own mind, my own will, applying my will in a gentle and loving way to my nervous system, um, I find that I'm able to, it's getting better, I guess is what I'm saying. And um, so I'm just like feeling these waves of bliss, watching my pineal gland shoot electricity in my head. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if any of you, any of you out there ever played this video game called Command and Conquer. It was kind of a corny video game like Cold War era. Uh, you like build tanks and shit like that. And there was this device called a Tesla coil and that was my favorite thing. And so you make the Tesla coil and then when one of the opposing forces would, would start charging at your base, the Tesla coil would, and it would zap them, it would zap the people. And my bases were always just like lined with Tesla coils. Anyway, why am I bringing this up? Because that's what I saw in my mind's eyes. My pineal gland was kind of like a Tesla coil and it was like shooting electricity all through my brain. And it felt amazing. Uh, connecting with my vagus nerve felt amazing. And then this is really why I wanted to hop on the mic because I discovered a new technique tonight. And so I wanted to share it. And so as I say all the time, uh, there's no rules with meditation. And if anyone tells you there are rules, that's a charlatan and they don't know what they're talking about. There's just what works. There's just what works. And I, you know, I, I was about to say what works and what doesn't work, but with meditation, nothing, quote, doesn't work. You know, if, if a lot of people say to me, I just can't s stop thinking, my mind is like so active, that's okay. That's completely okay. And sometimes meditations are like that for me. Sometimes I can't stop thinking. But every time a thought appears, I visualize it as a cloud and let it float across the sky of my mind's eye. And so at least that like keeps the thoughts moving and keeps the flow. And anyway, I, I just, I know it's easy, more easily said than done, but if 
y'all can transcend the self-judging and the, the voice that's like critiquing all the time. That voice stands in the way of meditation for a lot of people. And that is like a trick. It's a shadow and it's a karmic obstacle in the way of you achieving deeper states of consciousness. So it's just a part of the process. And sometimes it's going to be, it's going to feel like it just flows so easily and naturally. Other times it's going to be a real struggle. That's just how nature works. Sometimes the ocean is calm and sometimes the ocean is insane. And that's just how nature works. Anyways, I am incorporating more and more movement into my meditation. So I'm not moving the whole time necessarily. I do enjoy staying kind of in the half lotus with my spine straight and just sort of like just being still and watching my breath. But after a time, I often start to feel kind of restless. And so rather than just like call it a day and get up or whatever, I instead start to move my body. I'm still in the half lotus position. Maybe I'll switch so that one leg is is up and the other one's down, I'll switch legs so my feet don't fall asleep. And I start to kind of move always in a circular motion, always in a circular motion. I'm kind of doing it right now. And then I started to, I always see vines all the time and especially since the medicine that helps me is comes from the jungle. So I see a lot of like jungle imagery all the time. And so I, I'm always like, naturally my hands make kind of like vine motions like sort of like a double helix uh, double helix slash vine is what my hands and arms tend to do like kind of moving vertically in front of me um, in a in a double helix kind of way <laughs> and so that always feels really good and that usually unlocks even more waves of bliss and just beauty and connection and uh, visualizations will occur and all this amazing stuff that I find so invigorating and because you never know like what sort of beautiful pattern and fractal amazingness your mind's eye is going to conjure up and so this time my arms just naturally started they spread out next to me and I found myself in a full-blown visualization that I was a bird um, you'll be unsurprised <laughs> that I was a raven and so I'm just like watching in my mind's eye I just have these like amazing wings with these beautiful shiny black feathers and my arms just started like moving in the motion as if I'm flying as if I'm like l kind of lazily easily moving my wings to move across the sky I got the wind at my back I know exactly how to ride the wind it's in my instinct it comes naturally to me and I found my arms moving up and down and also like a little bit um I don't know if the small mouth noises are going to be able to des describe it, but it, it felt as though my hand and my wrist, the trajectory as my arm moved up and down was mimicking kind of the bones of the wing of the bird. Um, I can't, <laughs> I don't know for sure if that's the case, but it sure felt like that to me, how the bones kind of flex and move to catch the breeze and all that kind of stuff. I really felt that and had a full blown visualization that I was flying above these beautiful green hills and it was amazing and so I just want to invite uh, anyone out there who wants to give that a try please do um, just imagine you're a bird basically put your arms out neck and just fly allow yourself to fly be free with it everyone's gonna fly differently and just see what happens and um, 
I think it might result in some really beautiful visualizations for people. So let me know how it goes. Uh, barbarian.noetics at gmail.com. Let me know how your meditation experience goes. Let me know if you try flying like a bird, moving your arms like the wings of a bird, and what visualizations come, come up for you uh, in that space. So I wish you all a beautiful evening tonight. Um, it's a stormy, windy, magical evening in South Phoenix. So I'm just blissed out over here and wanted to hop on the mic and share my bliss with all y'all. I love you all so much and thank you for listening. And uh, we're going to bring this segment to a close. All right. Much love, everybody. Peace. Oh, say can you rage by the LED lights? How so loudly we banged to the sound systems beaming. Whose deep wubs and high hats through the mosh pit and rail. O'er the speakers we stood, our eyes hallucinating. And the drum kit's tight snare, the bass pounding the air, gave proof through the night that the shrooms were still there. Oh, say does that melodic bass line that we crave feel the peace? of the Mali in the house of the rave Get up and rage! Kio wakidangani mamu Umejipodoa umepodoka Mwendo na jipu yote mwanana Misuru waria nidondoka Tukimbiza nini sarome wangu Iyo michezo ya jogo Ona watiza machini sarome wangu Ukimuona jongo Inama kidogo shika magoti Mini mesimama kama ngongoti Mtoto jojo siyo roboti Chumbani pingiri pingiri zamba zoti Unante kenyaga ukinyonga sarome Unante kenyaga ukinyonga folks dr sylvie's going to be with us in one minute she's got a thunderstorm moving through her undisclosed location and she's bringing her plants in but zoom only gives you 40 minutes once you start the meeting so i figured i would use this time productively and give you a little bit of update uh, or primer on what we're going to be discussing this segment so sticking with kind of the occult theme we're going to be discussing cern uh the large hadron collider and these folks that are busy 
trying to find the God particles. What it's a particle accelerator, and they're looking for the God particle. And Sylvie sent me this uh, little introductory video, so I'm going to go ahead and share the screen if I can figure it out and play it for you guys. I just got totally soaked. Oh shit! Okay. It's hey. like really storming out there, but I saved no. my. Oh yeah, we got to watch this. <laughs> oh wait, did I hit share? I don't know if I hit share sound. Sorry, hang on. Boomer Raven, doop a doop a doop boop. Boomer Raven, here we go. <laughs> All right, baby, let her rip. <laughs> Triangle, bitch. Study. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I love this. Please <laughs> see the logo. Oh my god, it's thunder. Okay, so they're showing images of Shiva. Okay, this is right outside CERN. This is, um, I don't know if this is fake or not. <laughs> this is the whole thing. We don't know if this is fake or not. So that's, that is the Shiva statue that was donated from India to CERN. And it's like at this, the Shiva statue first CERN. Okay. They're like, like the mascot, but it's like the statue that's like at the entrance to it and so this is apparently a sacrifice or something symbolic that happened at night i don't know if some person just did this to mess with people or if this is legit i mean there's definitely some shit going down you know what i mean like even the whole like this video they're they're doing something and when you say it's fake do you mean you don't know if this is in front of cern or you don't this is definitely in front of cern well, okay, so if someone is trying to mess with someone, they could just have like a group of 10 of their friends dress in long black gowns play act as performing But they don't know that people are watching though, you know what I mean? That's kind of a strange decision to do that when they don't know if anyone's going to witness it. Damn, this is creepy. But this is in front of CERN, right? Like they do have the Shiva statue in front of CERN. 100% in front of CERN. Okay, so this is 100% in front of CERN right now, what we're seeing. Some, some fucking crazy, dark occult arts. And it's important with this stuff to remember that it doesn't matter if you believe in this stuff, listeners. It's whether or not they believe okay. in it. <laughs> Damn, is that... What just happened to that woman? Human sacrifice? Holy shit, dude. And that was intense. Uh, wow, way to really like, <laughs> Dr. Sylvie just sent me that and is like, show this. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I, I personally, I, well, we're going to keep talking about this topic. I, I think this stuff is very real. And I think there's like a cult symbology behind this type of shit. Um, did you want to keep talking yeah, about CERN? So, okay, CERN perfect. CERN just restarted up the Large Hadron Collider, and there's a good documentary on it that's very, like, scientific objective as possible called Particle Fever that I watched that introduced me to it, but it's, like, the LHC is the Large Hadron Collider, and, and then they turned it off, and they just recently turned it back on last Tuesday, July 5th. Um, out, okay, the CERN logo, it looks like it is three sixes that are like, it, it, I mean, I don't see how you can't see that. That is the CERN logo. Um, Let me see Chief if I can the, bring it up. Chief of the Destroyer, that's on the CERN website too. And they'll just talk about Shiva and just like in a really positive sense. But like Shiva is known, there's like a duality. I looked into Shiva a lot. So Shiva is like in Hinduism and, and also other Eastern religions, but like 
this was donated from India. So I'm assuming they're associating it with the Hindu Shiva and Shiva is known as the destroyer. The cre- he creates, he protects, he transforms the universe. And there's this like duality with Shiva where Shiva can be benevolent, but also malevolent. Mm. And I'm just like reading this thing, which talks about, um, Here's the turn logo, folks. You can see for yourself the three sixes. It's really hard to deny that, that that's there. I mean, yeah, and also true. Google Chrome. Google Chrome's logo is also yeah. three sixes if you look at it. So, I mean, sure, they could just, this could just be some elaborate hoax. But even if it's an elaborate hoax, I just find it so strange because the whole mark of the beast and how the mark of the beast coordinates, correlates so well to the digital ID. Like you will not buy or sell without having the mark of the beast. You will not be able to engage in commerce unless you have your digital ID. Um, I don't know, man. And like, if you think about the atrocities of history and stuff like that, is it such a crazy leap of faith to think that there might be some dark magicians out there working some dark magic? Um, I don't get it at all. And then the whole fact that they're looking for the God particle too. It's almost like they want to, they want to try to like, they want to try to deconstruct the mystery of existence and like take ownership over the divine. That's what I feel. And I realize there's a lot of really good scientists and really solid people that are working at CERN. I'm not, I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Like I've always been interested in particle, um, particle uh, theory and particle accelerators and discovering new elements of life and subatomic particles. I'm all here for that, but there's just a lot of strange fuckery around this. And it's just interesting to talk about. Um, Sorry, I interrupted you. You want to keep going? Yeah. So basically there's this duality with Shiva and Shiva is known also as the one who destroys and also Shiva can be the one that like destroys everything like Mm. destroys um another of shiva's fearsome forms because shiva takes on all these different forms um because that's how it is with like the hindu gods so shiva has like again i said like benevolent and malevolent forms so it's one of shiva's fearsome forms is called kala time and mahakala i don't know if i'm pronouncing that correctly called great time which ultimately destroys all things damn i just feel like it's like why didn't why it's also very strange to me that like okay so most of the scientists i know that are hardcore scientists okay so some of them are religious but i think say about like 50 percent to 70 percent of the hardcore scientists i know are like hardcore atheists and cern is in switzerland right isn't it Mm -hmm. switzerland yeah and um, which Switzerland had a really crazy vaccine policy, if you remember. No, that yeah. was Switzerland and Austria. Austria had the worst one. But anyway, Switzerland was pretty crazy. And Switzerland is also where Davos is too, which is really strange, right? So Switzerland is like Davos and Switzerland is also CERN. But with um, CERN, it's like, okay, so it's supposed to be a multinational, international collaboration of scientists. So if you have anything like I would think, okay, maybe they'd have like a big, you know, statue of some sort of thing related to physics. Right. But why would they have a religious, cause it's Hindu religion. It's a religious iconography on the campus of CERN. To me, that's bizarre. That makes no sense. Like you would never have like at like 
a top public school or like at like NASA, they wouldn't put like a like Buddhist, a Buddha right outside. Or even like Jesus on the cross or something like that. It's just not. They wouldn't do that like anything that was like a major scientific hub of research. So that to me is bizarre. And then when you get to the Godhart base tunnel, opening ceremony. Oh, shit. Bizarre. Okay, so here we go, folks. So now we're going to get into the real juicy stuff. So, (laughs) all right. So I, again, Dr. Sylvie is eons ahead of me on this stuff. I just, I just found out about this. It's a, there is an opening ritual for a tunnel in Switzerland. Now, Dr. Sylvie and I, full disclosure, full transparency, we are still connecting to the pieces of this tunnel and the connection to CERN. Because people have been okay. falsely reporting that this was an opening ritual ceremony for CERN. It was actually an opening ritual ceremony for a massive tunnel. But this ceremony was was attended by wor- like all the world leaders, prime ministers, presidents and stuff are all at this tunnel grand opening. And wait till you guys see this shit. I mean, can I is... say something for yeah. before you do it? Okay, for so sure. the, the relationship is, and I sent you some um links but like at there's like cern has a meeting every single like i mean probably has tons of meetings but there was like a future circular collider study kickoff meeting that occurred in 2014 and this researcher presented on the gotthard tunnel project so that was presented at cern and then there's this mm. thing called cerncourier.com which is kind of like the magazine of cern And this is in an article from 2019 of September called Tunneling for Physics. And I think this is when I figured when I got into all this stuff, I'm pretty sure it was in 2019. I was like freaking out about it. And it was like it was like CERN had to do with like the Mandela effect and that all just and then I just went down the Mandela effect, you know, hole and I still see Berenstein, S-T-E-I-N or Berenstein, whatever, however you would pronounce it, not Berenstein and like the fruit of the loom and all of those things the lion and the lamb the lion and the wolf anyway you can go on and like look at Mandela effects and I would be surprised if any one of our listeners looked up Mandela effects and didn't at least resonate with like one or two of them because like and you strongly feel like in the core of your being like no this is how it used to be I swear and like you you will like ask your friend or you'll ask a family member and they'll be like yeah of course that's how it was and then it'll be like no it's not look at this anyway so people made this like connection with like when CERN when that started when they started the large hadron collider that that did something to like the space time continuum and messed up these things. And then it had to do with, and then it's just like, why would it mess up like logos and stuff? And like, I would say that's like the elites messing with us because it's like capitalism, right? Like that's what logos are and brands are. It's like, that's what capitalism is anyway. um, But what I wanted to say in this article called tunneling for physics, it was published September 11th, 2019. Okay. That's weird. Anyway. um, So here, I just want to read one paragraph from it. It says, since construction of the 27 kilometer circumference Large Hadron Collider, LHC, was completed in 2005, CERN has been looking at the potential layouts for the tunnels that will house the next generation of particle accelerators. So they're looking for tunnels for the, like, for the next oh, generation. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. And then okay. The compact linear collider and the future circular collider are the two latest projects or the two largest projects under consideration. And then it says with a 
circumference of 100 kilometers, the future circular collider will require one of the world's largest tunnels, almost twice as long as a recently completed 57 kilometer Gotthard base tunnel in the Swiss Alps. Designing large infrastructure like the FCC tunnel requires the collection and interpretation of numerous data, which have to be balanced for the optimal level of risk, cost, and project requirements. So basically there is a 57 kilometer Gotthard base tunnel in Swiss Alps. And then they are saying that they need to get a 100 kilometer tunnel constructed to house this future circular collider. Um, and then what people say the got the Godhard base tunnel that it like it's the longest and deepest in the world. It was inaugurated in 2016 and it's supposed to like represent the unification of Europe and all these things. Um, and what else about it? And that's what we're going to be showing people in a second. We're going to oh, be showing the opening ceremony to this Gotthard base tunnel. And I just feel like there's something creepy about like tunneling like deep into the earth. So it's the world's longest and most expensive tunneling project in history. Yeah. So that's because that's it's monumental. And then it goes through the Swiss Alps and it also took 17 years to complete. And it's supposed to be a symbol of European unification in a context of rising nationalism and closing borders, which to me sounds like EU related and also kind of like this one world government type thing. Yeah. Related, related to that. And then the people that were at this, so we're gonna show you, or um, Little Raven's gonna show you parts of this clips of this opening ceremony, which is bizarre and you need to watch the full thing at home by yourselves and it's easy you to do. find it on the internet. But like people who were there were like the elites, like Chancellor Angela Merkel of Germany was there because she was the chancellor at the time, the president of France, the Italian prime minister, everyone was there. And they were all dressed up, like dressed to the hilt, um, you know, as if they were going to like a grand, you know, award ceremony. And they just sat and watched this whole thing. And this is like literally the creepiest. <laughs> I can't, it freaks me out when I watch it, honestly. Like, and I also would like, like have to think, I put myself in the position of like, cause I'm a dancer too. I put myself in like the position of the performers. Yeah. And I, I would not feel comfortable doing that. I would not. I would feel like when I was doing it, I would feel like I was becoming that and I would freak out. I would like, I would, I would can't. Like they couldn't see me enough to do it. So these are supposed to symbolize the workers who constructed the tunnel. Notice the blank expression. They're all like, it looks like they put makeup on to make them look especially pale. It's very like zombie-esque, hyp hypnosis-esque. And there's actually nine workers that died during this construction and there's a part of the ceremony where it's like the spirits of the nine dead workers are like being like kind of like escorted by this weird owl thing i mean guys this is crazy like i said if y'all if y'all like to engage with the, the ganja i highly recommend before you watch this so we're not gonna have time to watch the whole thing right now so i'm gonna kind of like skip ahead from time to time but just totally normal stuff, just all the elites of Europe all gathered around to watch this inauguration of the deepest and longest tunnel in the world. And then I just wanted to say really quick as well, before I forget, 
The connection then between the Gotthard Tunnel and CERN, it sounds like there's a lot of connections, including like the fact that this was an engineering feat that had never been done before, and that CERN is going to need to build a tunnel even longer than Gotthard. And so it's almost like those nine people that died were like sacrificed for the future CERN tunnel. And just wait till we get to this. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit now. Like, totally, no totally normal stuff. Here we go. This is just totally normal stuff, guys. All of Europe's elites are watching this. Oh, there's a goat. There's a, have a cow skull or bull skull. There's the goat horns. And these are like the best of versions. Like, I could break this down, and this is Mr. Goatman himself, like Pan, or the goat god. I mean, all this stuff has such intense symbolism and significance, and maybe we can revisit this in a future Yak Fest and just break down all the symbolism. But this is your guys' primer to this. Uh, I'm talking a lot, so that you can... Jesus, you can talk if you want. What's this called? Disabled participant screen sharing. Oh, wait, let me do that. Sorry. I said it for the last one, but not this one. There we go. Now you can do it. Riveting radio is Dr. Sylvie and Little Raven bumble around. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Worth that's it. From, that's from the uh, the ceremony. Worth it. Worth the wait. <laughs> so it's like so scary. And it's like, it's this whole. Ugh. Yeah, all these things have like really crazy significance. Like there's there's a part at which he's wearing like a bunch of like brush on his head that's kind of like evocative of antlers. And I, I really want to find where the nine, um, there's this bizarre part with the nine workers that died. About the topless woman decked as a bird hovered above the actors that represented there's okay, there's a topless woman decked as a bird that's hovering above the actors representing the nine construction workers who died during the building of it. Yep. That's what I'm looking for. Okay, I have a screenshot. Oh, and then they keep on holding up a dead lamb. And then they, yeah, they're like so like naked in this. And then, okay, so the Ibex, that's what, that, so that guy that I just showed you the screenshot of, that's he's an Ibex because that's native to the Alps. And then, oh, then, then it's like this person birds basically Satan. It's like when, we're opening tunnel and here are two people dressed as Ibex pretending to have sex. And then, oh my gosh, it's so, I can't even, there's so many creepy parts of it. It's so here. disturbing. So here's, this is from the BBC. So this yes. is not some crazy like fringe yeah. outlet. So there's yeah, the antler, antler-esque <clears throat> horns. And then I know that they have an image of, this is the part. This is it yes. guys. Look at this shit. I mean, come on. And those are supposed to symbolize the nine. It says a topless woman decked as a bird hovered above actors representing the nine construction workers who died during the building of the tunnel. And it's not just decked as a bird. It has like a creepy cherub baby face on it. I mean, that is so fucked up. I know. I don't, I don't understand. Like this isn't like none of this makes people feel better. Like, and like, also if you were like, a family member of one of the construction workers that died. How does that make you feel better when you're at the ceremony? You see this for sure. I find that actually extremely insensitive and and crude and cruel actually to like Why turn it into topless too. Right, and there's and look at like the weird shape of her like baby cherub mask, and then you have these two guys that are leaning into each other like zombies. There's a lot of like hypnosis um, symbolism imagery. 
and a lot of eroticism too like there's all these yeah. they like here's all the elites and then there's here she's holding up the dead lamb i mean come on why is there a dead lamb this is what i'm talking about the eroticism so there's all these like good looking young people rolling around in their underwear, in their underwear. <laughs> which is nude which makes them look like they're nude it makes it's them look like they're nude and there's definitely no there's a birthing six the birthing one's creepy there's like a, it's like a, they i think that's what they said it was like a birthing of satan it was like really creepy that sounds about right all these guys the underwear people have blank expressions or like kind of scared expressions on their face they're all young and fit and like you know objectively good looking um, like, look at the expression that girl has on her face. Like, what the fuck? Here's the the ibex, and again, yeah, I think look up ibex symbolism. Yeah, look up ibex symbolism while I'm going through this. And okay, here we go. Uh, two people dressed as an ibex pretending to have sex. So that's what this screen is. There's two people dressed as ibexes pretending to have sex. Totally makes sense for the opening of a tunnel. This is this like kind of Satan figure. More than 600 actors reportedly took part in the ceremony. I mean, think about like the, the money and the resources that went into this. And it just is so bizarre. And that, so just to give kind of listeners a little heads up, when you do your own research on this, there's a lot of effort in like the like Wikipedia and like the controlled internet there's a lot of effort to write this all off. And there's all yeah. these articles of like, CERN and Godhard Tunnel have nothing to do with each other. And there's no connection. And there's even a Wikipedia article called the CERN opening ritual hoax. It's like, there's a- I've a never Wikipedia seen thing. that. I'm gonna have to look that up. Yeah, and it's like, why are they spending, if, if there's like nothing to worry about here, why are they spending so much time trying to debunk it? And the fact of the matter is- Oh my there, gosh. There oh. is a connection to, um, there is a connection between CERN and the Godhard Tunnel for sure, Sylvie, and I appreciate it. I love having a partner who has a PhD because <laughs> my, my research partner is fucking amazing at research. But yeah, so you guys can push back against that and be like, well, it's it was the longest tunnel in the world. CERN's going to have to build a, a tunnel double its size. So the engineering secrets they discovered are going to be utilized in the CERN particle accelerator. So therefore, the people that died in the construction of the tunnel were sacrificed for CERN in a weird kind of way. And then their memories were, in my opinion, kind of disgraced by that production. Yes, 100%. So inappropriate to like depict like a, a satanic cherub like face topless woman with wings like hovering above them like you, you make a really good point like how would you feel if you were the family members of those people I, I would be horrified i would be like what are you doing with my loved one's memory i would be right really now? offended and i'd be like this doesn't have to do with anything like i don't know um yeah. so i looked up the ibex and i guess in the yemeni civilization it represents the god of rain thunderbolts fertility and growth and that it is was also the god of war and then in Negev, oh, interesting. Yeah. And then in Negev, Krakar, it represented the cycle of life and death, possibly of a dying and resurrected God. Fertility, resurrection, seasonal change, like celestial like change as well. So it's kind of like, it's the same thing as the Shiva, I would say, like with the Shiva. Um, and it's also like the, the devil figure having sex with like another like Ibex woman and giving birth to like, that's very much like resurrection of the devil or like resurrection of like yeah. this dark force. Um, super creepy. And it's just like, it just blows my mind that people will see this and just be like, eh, whatever. It's like, 
you, you gotta watch. You gotta watch the whole thing. You do. Y'all have to watch the whole thing. It is bonkers. Um, oh, okay. So what happens? There's a goat man. So that would be the ibex man. He dies. He's resurrected. He's worshipped, and he's crowned king of the world. And that happens in the ceremony. And then they say that the goat man, which is the ibex man, um, bore striking resemblance to Baphomet. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Man, I'm like, it kind of like leaves you speechless in a way. Um, oh my gosh, this is a really interesting. So FEE, the, the FEE said the Gotthard tunnel ceremony reveals the aesthetic of statism. Let that sink in for a moment. Angela Merkel and other heads of states give a standing ovation to ceremony in which the actual miners' deaths are commemorated as necessary sacrifices for the completion of their grand public works project. You know, like little pharaohs. Oh my gosh, this is a really good article. I need, I'm sending this to you now. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, so this happened. So this like was under the radar. And then I just only came across this stuff in like 2018, 2019. And then, but how did you come across it um i was listening to one of my favorite rockfin shows so shout out uh am wake up on rockfin and they they introduced it actually though as it was the opening for cern and so i had to do some some digging and research to discover that that's a little bit misleading to say that it's the opening for cern but that's not to say that there's not a connection it's the opening for the gotthard tunnel which is connected to CERN in many different ways. And it's also been linked to human trafficking a lot, which is disgusting, but it makes sense that like the longest, deepest tunnel in the world would be used for human trafficking. Um, unfortunately, well, that does. is for physics. So that's like the whole thing. It's like, it's, it, it's like, it's linked to physics. So, and then, yeah, nine people died in the construction, but like, let's see. Here, I'm going to read a little, I'm going to screen share that article and I'm going to read a little bit of it because this is really interesting to me. Um, so this is on FEE Stories. Life sacrifice for the collective. The ceremony comprised of two parts at two locations, bookending the tunnel. What is immediately striking is the disrespectful portrayal of the miners as zombie-like peons prone to frenzy and rhythmic obedience. These miners end up stripping and dancing with pagan animal and bush spirits, eventually engaging in mindless simulated orgies. There are various symbols of Swiss national pride woven throughout the production, but the focus is clearly on the miners and doll-like citizens' interactions with pagan gods and priests. Eventually, a goat demon resembling the ancient Baphomet idol emerges from the tunnel and proceeds to mock a carried lamb, a symbol of Christ. The play graphically depicts miners dying as sacrifices to the goat demon. <laughs> like what? The goat demon ends up mounting and mating with the spirits of the dead miners. Oh my God, that's even grosser. So he ends up, he ends up mounting and mating with the spirits of the dead miners, as well as receiving their worship. The goat is robed in white, dies and resurrects as a red cloaked woman, giving birth to empty faced dancing dolls. I mean, holy Really fuck. horrific, honestly, to watch it. Yeah. Here's the thing. Nine miners, sorry. Nine miners actually died during the construction of this tunnel. Let that sink in for a moment. Um, these miners were human beings with families, wives, and children. And they're being depicted as mindless sacrifices mated by ancestral pagan gods of the Gotthard region. Of course, the media doesn't care to consider this reality. These folks are a little too matter, 
these folks are too little to matter to power-dazzled media outlets. Um, ritualized violence. In the aesthetic of statism, absolute power is the greatest good. Violence is a sacred right to be performed by those with a monopoly on power, the state and its corporate cronies, to preserve their order and grandeur. Definitely going to have this link in the description because this is a fantastic article. Um, we only have eight minutes left, Dr. Sylvia, and I was wanted to show that clip of Scott Ritter talking about the Ukraine-Iran, uh, Russia-Ukraine conflict. Yeah, that um, is yeah. Okay, are you? Do you want any closing thoughts on this before we move up, move on? No, I just recommend people watch it when they're when they feel like they're psychologically <laughs> ready to watch Sound. it. Sound, absolutely, yeah, and then. Like I said, we're going to have this uh, Godhard Tunnel Reveals the Aesthetic of Statism article in the description, and I recommend people um, watch that as well. All right, so speaking of monopoly on violence and mass sacrifice of peasants for the good, for the for the for some sort of greater collective goal of the elites, uh, this brings us to the current conflagration in Ukraine, um, where with the special operation, a special military operation, and I wanted to play a clip of Scott Ritter talking at the Ron Paul Institute about the conflict. And I just think that his perspective is really valuable and it's not a perspective you're going to see on any of the corporate outlets. And so I wanted to like bring people's attention to this. Um, Scott Ritter was a weapons inspector. He was a UN weapons inspector who kind of went to Iraq, Iraq to look for the weapons of mass destruction and realized that there were no weapons of mass destruction. And he's uh, ex-Marine, he's a man of integrity, and he's basically like made it his business ever since then to like speak truth because he, he was making, doing a tour around the country saying like there were no weapons of mass destruction. And I actually got to see him talk live when I was in undergrad. Wow. And um, he just has a really valuable perspective and i do think it actually kind of in a fucked up way it, it does res it relates to the monopoly on power and statism sacrificing human beings for some perceived greater good so let me um i think i forgot to hit share sound again boomer raven raven okay i'm gonna let this bad boy play and then we'll chat the russians are some of the finest most professional troops in the world why because in the 20 years that we were squandering our resources, hunting down goat herders and insurgents in Iraq and Afghanistan, they were focused on fighting us. Not because they want to fight us, but because we were promulgating policies that were pushing them into a corner where they had no choice. The Russians today are organized to fight large scale ground combat in Europe. And when I say organized to fight, that means organized to win. How do we know this? Well, we see it right now, ladies and gentlemen. You can talk about the Ukrainians all you want. I'll tell you this. Not only were they one of the largest militaries in Europe, they were one of the best equipped militaries in Europe, one of the best trained militaries in Europe, one of the most competent militaries in Europe. This is the Ukrainian army I'm talking about. The Ukrainian army was capable of defeating, hands down, any army in NATO besides the United States. Maybe the Turks. But everybody else, Ukrainians would wax them. They're that good. And yet Russia is crushing them, crushing them. That doesn't mean that Russia's not taking losses. The battalion commanders that the Russians have on the ground in Ukraine today are the finest battalion commanders the world has ever seen. There's nothing that can happen to stop this, nothing. But there's a problem. We can make the cost for Russia very high. We make it so high that it actually becomes painful. 
And if we make it too high, then we have what we call a game-changing moment. And we're on the verge of reaching that. We're providing Russia, or providing the Ukrainians with weapons that are not going to change the outcome of the war. They are not. High Mars is not going to change the outcome of the war. But what it will do is kill Russians. It will kill Russians in large numbers. It will drag this conflict out. Now, Russia will win, but the price paid by Russia will be very high, and the price paid by Ukraine will be even higher. And for all the people that say we have the little Ukrainian flag on our thing, we've identified ourselves, go to hell. Because if you care, if you care about the Ukrainian people, if you give a damn about humanity, then you'd want this war to be over today. So yeah, I just thought what he what he said there is so important. And you know, again, I'm I'm not trying to be insensitive to anyone. And I like that he gives proper respect for the Ukrainian army because it, it, it is a very well-equipped and well-trained army. It's been getting trained and equipped by NATO for the past eight years, ever since the Maidan coup. But the, the, the Russia has been preparing very systematically to defend its borders. Ever since NATO started to really expand during the Clinton years, Russia has been building a military force that is capable of fending off the combined forces of NATO at its borders. And so I just think what he says is so important that if you really wanted to support Ukrainians, you would want this conflict to end. And the only way it's going to end is with a negotiated settlement. And the longer that the conflict, uh, the longer that it gets dragged out. And again, the U.S. is doing everything in its power to drag this thing out, sending 54, 58 now billion dollars of very high tech, very powerful weaponry directly to the Ukrainian army. A lot of it gets blown up by the Russians before it reaches its destination because Rus the Russians have good intelligence and they've been able to destroy a lot of this weaponry before it even reaches the Ukrainians. So you're talking about billions of dollars just literally going up in flames. And what's disgusting is that the military industrial complex and the weapons manufacturers, all they care about is that they made the sale. They don't care what happens to the weapons after they make the sale. It's just strictly business for them. They want to move through their inventory, get rid of these weapons so they can make more weapons. If it gets blown up by the Russians before it gets to the Ukrainians, that's fine. If it's used by the Ukrainians, that's fine. If it gets taken by the Russians and used by the Russians, which has been happening to a lot of equipment as well, it's been ending up in the hands of the Russians. And so anyway, this is to drag the conflict out. The longer it drags out, the more devastating for the nation of Ukraine. And so I consider myself I am an anti-war person. I'm a person who feels empathy and I'm a person who cares about the Ukrainian people. And that's actually why I'm speaking out about this. It's not to be disrespectful or to say that, you know, um, it, it's not to say anything other than if you care about the Ukrainian people, this war has to come to an end. If the war is going to come to an end, there has to be a negotiated settlement. In order for there to be a negotiated settlement, the U.S. has to stop sending billions of dollars in weapons and training and dragging this thing out. So I just I had to say that I had to had to include that in the segment. Do you have any comments, Dr. Sylvie? It's OK if you don't. I kind of sprung this topic on you last minute, but I just thought it no, was No, I mean, I kind of like echo a lot of what you have to say. And I just it's a weird or not weird. It's probably manufactured that the mainstream media has stopped really focusing on it. It was like a big focus like a month ago mm -hmm. and it was all about like Ukraine and now it's like, it's more shifted to actually it's shifted a lot in the mainstream media. Cause I like look at the different headlines to see what they want us to focus on. Mm -hmm. It's shifted a lot to like resurgence of COVID because I yep. think we're going to come out with this like 
new vaccine or something in the fall. So they want to keep people, keep people like afraid of this coronavirus that is now very transmissible, but not deadly and, or not as deadly. And then, um, and the more that it transmits and people go through it and recover, the more people have natural immunity and the closer we get to like actual real herd immunity as well. Um, right. What they're this... claiming is that it evades all natural immunity. Like I've been reading them all and they say like, that's what they're saying. That's what these articles and the, the and even I've seen doctors claim that. Lies. Leading to reinfections. It's just lies. Like I've seen it in my own life. People who are unvaccinated got it recovered and they haven't gotten sick again. Whereas people that got the jab keep getting sick over and over again. It's really fucked up that they're pushing that because that goes against like immunology 101. Right. And it's part of like redefining words, redefining what a vaccine is. It's part of this Orwellian. Don't say sticks and stones, they might break your bones, but the nine millimeter, it will bore your dome. I'm talking about the toe tagging, the body bagging, and the dying. Mamas are crying, casket buying. Who me dying, leave my family crying. Hell no, I cause them bloodbaths and showers. Send me commissary, mother, them flowers. Thoughts of slaughter, I believe in my daughters. Hours and hours of fears running through my mind as I pick up the Zig 9 beef. Starts with the shove, then ends with the shovel And standing on your corner reminiscing of you But your ass is out and you're dead and gone So who'd you rather be? The murdered or the murderer? Got me stressed, I got my tech in my vest Then I sing, who job bless? Let no man curse But one of us will leave here tonight in a hearse When we'll be tried by 12 And fertilizing daisies, crying Mamas and cousins and crying babies Due to the fact that Alright, love doves You hear that little buzz in the background? That little nice little ASMR buzzy buzz, and you're thinking, sheesh, what happened to little Raven's mic? That's the front AC unit, friends. Dagnamit, I'm keeping it on. So, here we are. We've flipped. We've flopped. We've moped. We've mopped. We've sang. We've banged. We've skipped. We flipped. We slipped. We slopped. We booty popped. And we are here at the end of the show. So there's a crowd of people outside, uh, extremely excited for this outro. I'm just gonna pop open the window here and see uh, see what's going on. This, I don't know how they knew I was here on Monday morning recording this outro, but man, hundreds and hundreds of people. It's also black and white outside for some reason. I don't know. I do do a lot of drugs, but this is a bit much. Let's let's put the mic out and see what they have to say here. Oh. They're asking for someone named Paul. I can only assume that's me and they just don't know my name. Whoa, that is ear piercing. Those are some ear piercing screams. Holy shit. Folks, they're breaking down the windows. All right, I don't know if that skit worked or not. (laughs) That might have been a bust. Hey, they can all be bangers. But uh, that's from A Taste of Beatlemania in the 1960s. And um, hold on, let me see if I can find this. I like this one girl. This guy's like, what do you think about the Beatles from a girl's perspective? A young girl, that is. And she goes, I think they're sharp. (laughs) Uh, Hold on, let me see if I can find this. I know this is great radio. This is fucking awesome radio. What's a woman's opinion of the Beatles? A young woman's opinion, that is. I think they're sharp. (laughs) I think they're sharp. What's a woman's... I'm just going to start going up to people in the street. 
What's a woman's opinion of Walmart? A young woman's, that is. Man, 60s were weird. Anyways, let's get into this outro, shall we? Let's not stand on ceremony. And uh, we got a head scratcher for you today, or a mind expander. Um, so I have been thinking a lot lately. I don't know how it popped in my mind. I don't know, whatever. But as I try to have a more nuanced ideas about climate change and how it's being leveraged by the predator class, weaponized against us and all that stuff, or at least the, the activism aspect of it. So with the whole carbon footprint thing, no one ever talks about how much carbon volcanoes put out into the atmosphere all the time. And I feel like this is just sort of ignored. And if we're talking, if we're, if we're going to be counting, you know, bean counting carbon, what about the fucking massive volcanoes that are not only above ground, but also beneath on the ocean floor? Like hundreds of thousands of volcanoes just spewing carbon into the atmosphere because it percolates through the ocean eventually. So I found this really good article here. Um, it's actually an academic article. It's called Discovery of Massive Volcanic CO2 Emissions Rebuts Human-Caused Global Warming Theory. Geological heat flow is possibly the cause of changes to our oceans. And this is written by a guy named James uh, E. Camus. Um, on November 6, 2018. So it says, Recent research shows that the volume of volcanic CO2 currently being emitted into Earth's atmosphere is far greater than previously calculated, challenging the validity of the man-made global warming theory. So, the cornerstone principle of the global warming theory, anthropogenic global warming, AGW, is built on the premise that significant increases of modern-era human-induced CO2 emissions have acted to unnaturally warm Earth's atmosphere. A warmed atmosphere that directly, or in some cases indirectly, fuels anonymous environmental disasters such as ocean warming, alteration of ocean chemistry, polar ice sheet melting, global sea level rise, coral bleaching, and most importantly, dramatic changes in climate. There are numerous major problems, however, with the AGW principle. Identification of volcanic versus man-made CO2. Natural volcanic and man-made CO2 emissions have the exact same and very distinctive carbon isotopic fingerprint. It is therefore scientifically impossible to distinguish the difference between volcanic CO2 and human-induced CO2 from the burning of fossil fuels. This major problem with the AGW principle has been rationalized away by consensus climate scientists who insist, based, based on supposedly reliable research, that volcanic emissions are minuscule in comparison to human-induced CO2 emissions. Terence Gerlach's volcanic CO2 calculation was based on just seven actively erupting land volcanoes and three actively erupting ocean floor hydrothermal vents, seafloor hot geysers. Utilizing gas emission data from this very limited number of volcanic features, Gerlach estimated that the volume of natural volcanic CO2 emissions is 100 to 150 times less than the volume of man-made CO2 emissions from the burning of fossil fuels, and therefore of no consequence. To put this calculation into perspective, the Earth is home to 1,500 land volcanoes and 900,000 seafloor volcanoes and hydrothermal vents. 
By sampling just an extremely small percent of these volcanic features, it is impossible to imagine that the cal calculation is correct. Especially knowing that volcanic activity varies greatly from area to area, volcano to volcano, and through time. Utilizing just 0.001%, 10 out of 901,500, of Earth's volcanic features, to calculate volcanic CO2 emissions does not inspire confidence in the resulting value. Non-erupting volcanoes can emit massive amounts of CO2 to Earth's atmosphere. Recent geological research by the University of Leeds and others proves that non-erupting volcanoes can emit massive amounts of CO2 into Earth's atmosphere and oceans. The Gerlach calculation and all follow-up calculations utilized volcanic CO2 rates from actively erupting volcanoes. Lost in the numerous recent media articles concerning the argument of when or if Iceland's Katla volcano will erupt is the discovery that this non-erupting subglacial sub volcano is currently emitting staggering amounts of CO2 into Earth's atmosphere. Researchers from the University of Leeds who studied the Katla volcano said this, quote, We discovered that Katla volcano in Iceland is a globally important source of atmospheric carbon dioxide in spite of being previously assumed to be a minor gas emitter. Volcanoes are a key natural source of atmospheric CO2, but estimates of the total, total global amount of CO2 that volcanoes emit are based on only a small number of active volcanoes. Very few volcanoes which are covered by glacial ice have been measured for gas emissions, probably because they tend to be difficult to access and often do not have obvious degassing vents. Through high-precision airborne measurements and atmospheric dispersion modeling, we show that Katla, a highly hazardous subglacial volcano with, which last erupted 100 years ago, is one of the largest volcanic sources of CO2 on Earth, releasing up to 5% of total global volcanic emissions. This is significant in the context of a growing awareness that natural CO2 sources have to be more accurately quantified in climate assessments and we recommend urgent investigations of other subglacial volcanoes worldwide. The number of volcanoes emitting CO2 into the atmosphere at any one time. The calculation of the total yearly volume of volcanic CO2 emitted into the atmosphere is based on the presumption that very few volcanoes are erupting at any one time. Scientists from various worldwide volcano research institutions, most notably the United States Geological Survey, have estimated this number to be 20. This very low number has been challenged by many scientists, including those at NASA. A multinational team led by NASA has initiated a high-resolution satellite CO2 monitoring project. This project is focused on determining how many geological features are emitting CO2 at any one time. This project may eventually give scientists a better idea of how many land volcanoes are emitting CO2 at any one time. However, it is doubtful the project will properly record ocean CO2 emissions from Earth's 900,000 deep ocean floor and very difficult to monitor volcanic features. Um, the amount of CO2 and heat infused into Earth's oceans by seafloor geological features. About 71% of Earth's surface is covered by oceans, making it a water, not a land planet. For many years now, scientists have contended that the nearly 1 million geological features present in these vast ocean regions have played a minimal role in heating and chemically charging ocean seawater. Instead of contending that man-made atmospheric CO2 was the root cause, instead, 
contending that man-made atmospheric CO2 was the root cause of changes to our oceans. Recent research has proven that the contentions of these scientists are far from 100% proven. To the contrary, it has become clear that geological heat flow and chemically charged heated fluid flow into our oceans is far more influential than previously thought and possibly the root cause of changes to our oceans. One example is that geological features are warming Earth's oceans and causing El Ninos and La Ninas, El Ninos and La Ninas. Warmed seawater is not capable of holding as much CO2 as cold water. So the geologically warming of seawater indirectly leads to a large amount of CO2 being released from oceans and emitted into the atmosphere. So in summary, the volume of volcanic CO2 being emitted into the Earth's atmosphere has not been accurately assessed. Um, in a geological time frame, Earth has gone through many periods of increased volcanism. These volcanic periods resulted in major plant and animal extinction events, the end of glacial eras, and the dramatic alteration of Earth's climate. All indications are that Earth is currently experiencing another period of strong volcanic activity, which is acting to infuse CO2 into our atmosphere, thereby change, challenging the validity of the global warming theory. Clearly, it's time to put on hold all environmental action plans based on the cornerstone AGW principle of the global warming theory until additional CO2 emission research is conducted. So that's just kind of like to wet your whistle on this concept. I'm, I'm not claiming to be some sort of expert here, but this does make a whole lot of sense to me. And it is pretty damning that they've, set, they've so underestimated the amount of CO2 being released by volcanic features. And again, I love the environment. I love nature. I am a Taoist at heart. I want to study nature to learn about the universe. I want biodiversity on the planet. I want clean water. I want clean air. That is what we should be focusing on. We should be focusing on pollution and especially corporate and military pollution. So what freaks me out about the whole carbon footprint thing is that the billionaire predators are putting in a, they're putting in a system right now as we speak to monitor everyone's individual carbon footprint and develop a social credit score based on how much carbon you as an individual emit. But there's never going to be any emphasis whatsoever on the US military, all the security agencies, the, all the corporations, Chevron, fucking Exxon. Like these are the people that are really polluting and destroying the planet. And then when a lawyer like uh, Steven Donziger actually wins a case against Chevron, they collude with a judge in New York to keep him in house arrest for like 800 days. And so the people of Ecuador who have been poisoned to the, and are continuing to be poisoned to this day and giving cancer and birth defects and everything from this horrific oil corporation just plowing into the rainforest, setting up shop, extracting and polluting. I mean, think about how gnarly that is. Think about if that was like a human in a house Okay, living, so the human in a house has a nice clean house and he's chilling. And that's the Ecuadorian rainforest and the people that live in the rainforest. Then a truck of assholes comes to the house. So that's Chevron. Truck of assholes comes, breaks down the door, fucking violates everyone in the home, and then drops a bunch of poison uh, on the floor and in the sink and takes all the valuables out of the house and leaves. That's what our, these oil corporations are doing to nations in the global south that have resources that they want. So this is what we should be focusing on, not your individual carbon footprint, especially since volcanic emissions aren't even being counted properly. Okay, 
I'm stepping off my soapbox now. Get a little fired up about that because it just pisses me off. It pisses me off how easily people are, are redirected and misdirected according to different agendas and propaganda. And it sucks how powerful propaganda is. And I know that this is not news to listeners of the BMP, but we all really have to make an effort to resist propaganda and think critically um, because the shit is nefarious. So anyways, uh, that's the outro reading for this week. A little different this week, but I just thought that was really interesting. Uh, let me know what you think about that. If you think I'm full of shit or whatever, or you have different ideas or, or you resonate with what I'm saying, let me know. Barbarian.noetics at gmail.com. Hit me up. And I really need your support, everyone, to help keep the BMP on the air. The BMP is completely listener-supported. So if you derive some value from the free show I put out every week, I ask for some support. You can hop over to patreon.com noetics and sign up to be a patron for as little as $1 a month. You get a dream interpretation, you get bonus content, you get an original haiku, and you get all kinds of good stuff. So patreon.com noetics. You can also go to buymeacoffee.com slash noetics, all one word, to make a one-time donation. And as always, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the BMP wherever you listen to podcasts. I need more reviews, friends, on Apple Podcasts. If you're an Apple person, leave me those five stars in the review. Sweet, sweet five stars. And if you're an Android person, you can leave a review on CastBox. Uh, spread the word and tell a friend. Tell a couple friends this week about the BMP. To my international listeners, I love you all. Thank you so much. Let's spread the word internationally. Let's expand our tribe of philosopher barbarians. Hit me up on IG, barbarian underscore noetics. Let me know what's up. Let me know what episode you're listening to. I love hearing from my international listeners. You guys are the best. Keep spreading the word. And with that, everybody, I hope you have a fantastic week full of authenticity, full of realness, full of epiphanies, full of triumphs, full of challenges, full of setbacks, but full of resiliency as well. I'll speak to you all next week, and I love you very much. All right, peace.